This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Well, welcome to our Good Friday service. My name is Rob. If we've never met, I want to say hello to, to you. You know, when somebody that you love is dying, you always remember their last words. And sometimes it's the most important thing that they want you to remember. Well, Jesus had some last words. In fact, he actually had really one word that in English became a couple of words. Hanging from the cross and in agony, Jesus cried with a loud voice the word tetelestai. And we're going to have it right up here on the screen so that everybody can see what, it, what word it was that he said. Now, in English, this is translated, it is finished. And in John 19, he says tetelestai. And then it says that he bowed, up, bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, this word tetelestai, Charles Spurgeon says, is an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. Now, I don't have an infinite amount of time, so I'm not going to take more time than I have. But this word to Telestai, Charles Simeon later on said that every word indeed that proceeded from our Savior's lips deserves the most attentive consideration. But to Telestai eclipses them all. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to see that there's some familiar uh, language there in the word tetelestai. Right there in the center, you can see telos, and the original noun is the word telos, and it means the final end of something. It's like the final chapter of a book or the final scene of a movie. And when you put it into the verb form, the word is teleo, and it means basically not just that a task is completed— But it's completely completed. It's carried out all the way fully, bringing it to the finish line to perfection, as it were. So that's kind of what the word means. And the letters around it mean that that verb is in its perfect form. And I don't know if you remember uh, what that means from your English class. But basically, the perfect form of a verb means that it's a past completed act with an ongoing present effect. It's happened and there's, there's an abiding result because of what's happened. So the big question tonight is, what is it? When Jesus said the words, tetelestai, so that everybody could hear, he said, it is finished. Well, what is finished? Well, we can be very thankful that in the moment that Jesus says the word, tetelestai, that the physical torture that he has been experiencing is finished. We know that up to this moment, Jesus has experienced scourging, which is basically being nearly beaten to death with flesh-cutting whips. We know that Jesus has experienced a crown of thorns placed on his head, beaten into his head with rods. He's been run through a kangaroo court. He has carried his cross to the place called Golgotha, which was called the skull, because once you went on that hill, there was no turning back. And at 9 a.m. on Good Friday, Jesus was nailed to 
the cross and begins to experience crucifixion. Now, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they fine-tuned to maximize the pain and the suffering of the criminal who was being crucified. So they had ways to, to do that. It was designed like an X or like the T, the, the visual that we are used to. The victim was, uh, you know, vertical or sometimes upside down. The crucifix was uh, typically two feet off the ground, not elevated super high into the air. The Romans even created a sedecula, which was a seat midway up the vertical beam that a criminal could prevent premature collapse in order to prolong their agony. So if you're ever wondering, how does somebody die on the cross? It's not actually from the blood coming from the nails and the hands and the feet. It's actually from a slow suffocation. Hanging by your arms on nails, air can be drawn into the lungs, but air cannot be exhaled. And that goes on for hours and hours. Julius Caesar, ironically, was hailed as merciful to his enemies because he allowed their throats to be cut prior to crucifixion. One author put it this way, crucifixion was specially designed to do more than just kill a man. Its purpose was to humiliate him as well. Crucifixion not only broke a man's body, it crushed his spirit. Crucifixion not only destroyed a person physically, it defamed him socially. That's why crucifixion was always in a public place, in a prominent place. And the victim was always naked or nearly naked to increase the humiliation. One ancient writer put, to, put it this way. He, 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 witnessing a crucifixion, wrote these words. Punished with limbs outstretched, they see the stake as their fate. They are fastened and nailed to it in the most bitter torment. Evil food for birds of prey and grim pickings for dogs. See, the debate today is how humane can we make capital punishment but the debate to the Romans was exactly the opposite how inhumane can we make capital punishment such that they become grim pickings for dogs so the physical suffering thankfully in this moment when Jesus says tetelestai is finished but there's something else that he is signaling when he says that it is finished. Because something else has been going on as Jesus has been on the cross. If you can remember the story of the night before, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to his father while his friends are falling asleep. And he's praying so anxiously. He's praying so fervently that it says that, that sweat was like drops of blood coming from his brow onto the ground. And he prayed these words. He says, Father, remove this cup from me. That's the language he uses. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And what he's referencing, that's figurative language, is a cup that Jeremiah the prophet spoke about hundreds of years before that he described as the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. Jeremiah said that for somebody to drink this cup, it would make a person stagger and be crazed when pierced by the sword of judgment against sin and evil. So Jesus understood that for his rescue mission to be fully completed, for it to be tetelestai, and to, for it to be finished, he had to take the cup of judgment that you and I deserve because of our wickedness and sin and evil. 
And we know that he knew what this was all about because Galatians 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So he was aware that he was going to become our very curse. And at 9 a.m. on Good Friday, he who knew no sin became sin for us and stepped into our place and took our curse and begins to drink the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. And for six of the longest hours in human history, Jesus experiences what no human ever has. And minutes tick on and hours go by. And Jesus on the cross, who could command angels at any moment to rescue him, actually hears people deride him as he's there hanging on the cross. He hears these words that Mark uh, describes for us. Save yourself and come down from the cross. The chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, let the King of Israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. It says those who were crucified with him. He had somebody on his right and on his left also reviled him and cast insults at him. Well, after three hours at 12 o'clock until 3 p.m., God turns out the lights. And scripture says that darkness is over all the land. It's as if creation agrees that absolutely nothing should be shining in this moment. And Jesus there bears the full weight of our sin completely alone. And he sings the psalm of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you were there, if I were there, the whole scene would have been heartbreaking and breathtaking all at the same time. But there's another thing that this word to telestai means, and this is how I'm closing. And it's really the reason that all of this has been taking place. All of this agony, all of this pain for this truth that Jesus wants us to know. You see, back in the Roman time period, when somebody paid a debt, the creditor would write the word to telestai on the certificate of debt, signifying that it was paid in full. Maybe you've done that. You've signed your name and even written paid in full. Maybe you paid something online and you got a confirmation number and you were told to write it down. And if you're like me, you didn't write it down. And essentially, it, it means it's paid in full. It's your certificate that says it's paid off. And this word to tell aside, Jesus uses very specifically to describe how something is being paid in full. Now, he had other options available to use the word telos. He, there were other kind of verb forms, but he uses a four-syllable word to describe the payment. And uh, every single syllable in your last moments of your life, if you're writhing in agony, matter. So this word, tetelestai, is four syllables. I wonder if we could all Say it together. Tetelestai. Can you do that with me? Tetelestai. That's right. Tetelestai. Other options available. But 
Tetelestai, the four-syllable phrase of that word, means that this is now a completed act with a present effect and an ongoing future effect. You could translate it this way. It has been finished. It is right now finished. And it forever will be finished. And the next moments prove that something new and permanent is taking place. Matthew describes it this way. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then he says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. It's very curious that Matthew takes the word behold and doesn't do what I would do. To put the behold at the loud voice of Jesus or the yielding up of his spirit. But instead puts it right before the curtain is torn in two. In other words, here's what the point of his death was all about. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to to bottom. Now, Matthew speaking to a Jewish audience, it would be they would be very familiar that the temple was the primary dwelling place of God and the curtain in the temple was this thing that was 60 foot high and it was 4 inches thick and it separated man from the holy God. It separated us from God and it was this continual visual reminder that God created us to be with him. That he desires us to be with him. And he set up the temple and he set up the tabernacle system because he desires us and desires us to be in a relationship with him. But that curtain represented that sin separated us from God. And sin can't be removed by good deeds. You couldn't go around the temple, the, the, the curtain. You couldn't go over the curtain. You couldn't go through the curtain. The only person that could go through the curtain was a priest and only then a couple of times a year. But as Jesus' body, listen, is torn into, God literally tears the curtain in half to where everybody around could hear this ripping sound go straight from top to bottom, signaling this, that Jesus has paid the full and final price for sin in his death. And he's ushered in this new way of coming to God through him. Now, over and over again in the New Testament, this truth just rings like good news. The Apostle Paul will say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation means that there is no more payment to be made. Because the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's this new law that's at work because of the final payment that Jesus has made such that there is no more payment to be made. And there's now no condemnation and you're free. I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy and the freedom of having a debt removed from you. When I was uh, in college, it was my first experience at debt, was a 1996 Ford Ranger. Anybody have a 96 Ford Ranger? You missed out on one of the best cars ever created. I thought this car was amazing. It was willow green. It was beautiful. I wooed my wife with this truck. And I love this truck. The only problem was it was very expensive. And the only way to get this truck was to go into five years of car payments. Anybody going through many years of car payments right now? Okay, it was five years of car payments. And the payment was $242.34. Do you know why I have that number still in my head? Because every single month I had a payment booklet and I had to, it was the old days, you had to tear it out. There was no online thing and fill out a check 
and send it on. It was $242.34 every single month. And this payment booklet was only like that big, but it just never seemed to shrink, ever. Month after month, it just stayed the same, $242.34 every single month until a very generous relative, even years later, gave me a gift. And I was able to write one check and make the final payment. I used to daydream about that final payment. I would flip to the back, like you flip to the end of a story. I'd flip to the back of that payment book, and it said final payment. And I said, one day, Lord, I'm going to make this final payment. I'm never going to get another willow green truck ever again. And then one day I was able to make that final payment, and I was free. Now this is what Jesus is saying. I've made the final payment for sin. You might ask yourself this question, how can I be sure that my sins are paid in full? Well, the good news is everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. And that life starts at the moment that you turn and you trust in Jesus. Do you remember I mentioned that there was two thieves to the right and to the left of Jesus, reviling him, insulting him, living as they've always lived. But at some moment while they're on the cross, one of the thieves looks up at Jesus, and what he says is staggering. He just says, Jesus, remember me. He saw Jesus for who he was for the very first time. And he just looks up in his agony and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't relive his history. He doesn't say, I told you so. I knew you would, you would, you would end up here. He doesn't deride him. He doesn't insult him. He doesn't ridicule him. He just gives him a promise, and here it is. He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm about to die, and you're about to die. There's really nothing else you can do at this point in your life. You can't come down from the cross and fix fix yourself. You can't even resolve to do something else with your life. Your reputation is hanging on the cross. All of your past is right there for me to see. But Jesus says, today, when I enter into my kingdom, you're coming with me. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done. I can pay the penalty for every single sin that you have ever done in your life. And there is no reason for you not to believe my words in this moment. That as I'm entering into my kingdom, this place called paradise you're coming with me. Despite the fact that you can't do anything else with your life in this moment. And it's just amazing that the last thing that he heard Jesus say to him was that for the very first time, this thief whose whole, we don't know anything about him, but we know that he was a thief. He stole things. He didn't pay for things. That's why he was on the cross But for the very first time in his life, he heard the words to to, to Telestai. And he knew for the very first time that all of his debts were paid in full. If you're a believer here tonight, listen. Jesus says something over your life. And it's one word, to Telestai, and it means it is finished. Paid in full. No more future payment, no other thing to do to earn your way to God. The penalty has been paid. And if you're not a believer, 
Jesus is calling you to believe the words that he spoke to the whole world on the day that he died. That if you want your sins forgiven and if you want to be wiped clean of your sins, you come trusting, you come like the thief on the cross. You don't come with your resolves, you just come as you are and you say yes to Jesus and he will speak over your life paid in full. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.